Welcome to the Legal One podcast, brought to you by Legal One, the leader in school law training in the state of New Jersey. Legal One is part of the NJPSA and FEA family, so we are thrilled to be offering this podcast to you as a way to help you gain a greater understanding of critical legal issues. We want to provide you with convenient, easy access to essential information. Each episode is 30 minutes or less, so it provides a timely way for you to get information. In each episode, we're going to be reviewing critical legal principles based on case law, statute, regulation, or other key guidance. We'll talk about why that issue matters today and how the law has evolved. We'll talk about key steps in working with parents and other critical stakeholders to positively address the issues in question. And we'll give you more information. We'll give you resources so that you can access online courses and other events and know how to get a greater level of understanding of these issues. So let's get started. And thank you so much for joining us for the Legal One podcast. Welcome to today's episode of the Legal One podcast. My name is David Nash. I'm the director of the Legal One program. Today's episode is part of an ongoing series on addressing staff mental health needs. In this episode, we're going to focus on simple strategies to support your social and emotional well-being. This series is made possible thanks to the Legal One partnership with the New Jersey Schools Insurance Group, which represents most school districts in New Jersey, and Arthur J. Gallagher, which has grown to be one of the leading insurance brokerage, risk management, and HR and benefits consulting companies in the world, and works with numerous New Jersey school districts. Of course, our podcast is also made possible thanks to our ongoing partnership with New Jersey PTA. In today's episode, we're going to focus on why it matters that we take care of our needs when it comes to social and emotional well-being for all staff members in our schools. We're very fortunate to have with us two wonderful guests. We have Sue Coyle, who is the Middlesex County Traumatic Loss Coalition Coordinator has served in a number of roles in school districts addressing mental health needs for students and for staff members, and has been a critical partner throughout this entire series as we are thinking about the importance of addressing staff mental health needs. So Sue, thank you as always for being with us. Thank you, David. Happy to be back. We also have with us today Dr. Kathy Shoemaker, an assistant professor in a Department of Educational Psychology in the Graduate School of Education for Rutgers University. Kathy, thank you so much for being with us today. Well, I'm glad to be here. Thank you very much for having me. A little bit about me. I have been a school counselor at the middle and high school level. I'm also a licensed professional counselor who worked with youth and their families related to substance abuse. I did my dissertation work teaching mindfulness to middle school students, looking at its impact on test anxiety and student engagement. And I've also had the opportunity to train educators on how to use mindfulness in schools. So it's wonderful to have you with us today, Kathy and Sue, as we're talking about these important issues. Of course, we do wanna keep in mind certain key legal principles that are likely to arise if we don't do the things that are necessary to engage in proper self-care. So as we're thinking about addressing staff mental health needs, we know that these are very personal issues. These are very difficult issues for us to share and to talk about and to address. It is important to remind all of our listeners that there are very strong protections under both state and federal law to ensure that no staff member or student is discriminated against because of that individual's mental health needs. Under the Americans with Disabilities Act, the New Jersey Law Against Discrimination, 
our workers' compensation laws, our family and medical leave laws at the state and federal level. We have very strong protections. We also have strong protections for the confidentiality of information regarding staff mental health needs and student mental health needs. And we want to assure all of our listeners that as you're looking to engage in self-care and perhaps asking others at times to support you from the school district, that we do have very strong protections and you will not be discriminated against. We know, of course, that when it comes to self-care that one bad moment can impact your entire career. We have seen unfortunate incidents where individuals have had a moment of anger or frustration and vented at others that they're working with whether it's colleagues, parents, or students. And unfortunately, from time to time, that has dramatically impacted the career of that individual. And in some cases, led to tenure charges, led to an impact on an individual's pension. So the stakes for an individual and their future career are very high if we don't engage in proper self-care. We also know that in New Jersey and across the nation, we are facing critical staff shortages due in part to staff burnout, to dealing with the many pressures that come with being a school staff member and addressing the ongoing needs of our students. And that can create a tremendous burden on staff members. It's very important that staff members, as they're addressing student needs, remember to engage in self-care as well. And finally, we know that as staff members learn about the importance of self-care, learn about the importance of mindfulness, understand some of the techniques and strategies that we can use, they can turnkey that information and help others to the extent that we're able to empower others, whether they're students, parents, or staff members, we can reduce the potential for legal issues system-wide, and we can have a much larger impact beyond our own self-care. So with those basic legal principles in mind, I want to bring Sue and Kathy into our conversation today and begin with this basic question. And we'll have you, Kathy, start us off. Why is it important that school staff members actually pay attention to their social and emotional well-being? You know, everything starts with relationships. They're the backbone of every collaborative experience. Our social and emotional well-being often dictates the way that we approach relationships. Neuroscience shows that when we're in a negative state of mind, we read cues differently than when we're calm and relaxed. Our nervous system operates from a place of threat rather than safety, and it changes the way that we engage with those around us. We've all been through this traumatic experience over the course of the past year and a half. It's manifested itself in different ways depending on our circumstances. And for some school staff and students, while this is an exciting time, the act of returning back to school can feel traumatizing as well. So when we tend to our social and emotional well-being first, we can approach this return with openness and curiosity. We can realize that we may need to take a mental break and notice when our students may need to as well. That's such a great point. And Sue, do you have any additional thoughts on why we should be paying attention to this critical issue? I do, David. Now, there was a survey done in March 2020, the beginning of the pandemic, of folks working in schools. And when they were asked to describe the emotions they felt most often each day, anxiety was by far the most common. 
So we're hoping today is to provide some tools, some concrete tools that will help with one of the most common things that we've all been experiencing um, in the last year and a half. But some other good reasons to be paying attention to our wellness in addition would be that, you know, school employees who model good physical and mental health behaviors can help support students' health and academic success, which is why we're all there. It's what our mission is. And wellness activities can be simple and don't necessarily take a lot of time and resources. So I would like to leave it at that and pass this on to Kathy since she's got some simple activities that she's here to pass on to us. So thank you so much, Sue, for that. Before we get into some specific examples of ways that we can engage in important self-care, let's just talk about the meaning of a word that has really entered the language of our society. So one of the terms that has been out there in a much broader sense is the term mindfulness. Kathy, can you talk about what we mean by that term? Sure. John Kabat-Zinn, who has been doing this since the 70s, defines mindfulness as paying attention on purpose in the present moment and without judgment. So let's unpack that a little bit. You know, by nature, our human minds wander. So taking the time to bring our attention to something in the present moment is a learned skill. The act of that wandering mind and bringing it back over and over again actually strengthens our neural pathways and builds our capacity to pay attention. The other key there is the non-judgment. As humans, we have a negativity bias and it's kept us safe over the millennia but that same bias tends to foster a sense of self-criticism, blaming, and seeing negative intent where there may not be there. So non-judgment helps us to not be so hard on ourselves and in turn to be able to accept the mistakes of others as well. Sue, do you have any additional thoughts on the concept of mindfulness? I would just add to what Kathy has said is that there's science behind the mindfulness practices that are starting to be done with young people in schools, you know, with helping them learn to self-regulate and be more focused and more successful with the things that we want them to be engaging in in school. But we know that it's just as helpful and important for adults. And like I referenced before, you know, they can be really good role models. So they can be doing something that's good for themselves as well as role modeling that for our students. So Kathy, what are some examples of mindfulness techniques that staff members could use even when they only have a brief period of time available? You know, so often we think about mindfulness and we expect this big time commitment. Yet the research has begun to show that even brief moments of mindfulness can shift our mood and restore balance, calmness, and flexibility in our thinking. So any breathing that you might do that has a shorter in-breath and a longer out-breath can calm the nervous system in as little as three or four breaths. So you may have heard of something like three, three, six breathing or four, seven, eight breathing, four, five, six breathing, any of those kinds of things where you breathe in for a shorter, like, you know, breathe in for four, hold for five, breathe out for six, actually shifts our nervous system from being in a state of fight or flight or, you know, just having our, our nervous system kind of charged to allowing us to go into a place where we can rest, digest, and digesting also means digesting of information as well. 
Another thing that I like for short bursts of time is just taking a long, deep breath in. And with a focus on filling your lungs to capacity, noticing how it feels, and then slowly exhaling it all out. That can create a shift too. So often when we're busy and feeling frustrated or maybe a little overwhelmed, we're only breathing with the top part of our lungs. So even taking that long, deep breath in allows more oxygen into our bloodstream and allows us to do things like think more clearly. The other thing that I wanna say is that mindfulness comes in many you know, flavors. So there's mindful breathing that most of us know something about. There's mindful listening. You know, if it's raining outside, just taking some time to listen to that. Mindful eating, mindful walking. And then there's also practices like savoring the moment. One of my favorites is, is whenever there's a beautiful sunset, just taking that in and actually feeling what the sensations are in my own body when I'm looking at that. There's also ones like gratitude and a sense of heartfulness, which we'll talk about that one next. So now that you've given us some examples of mindfulness, can we consider trying a mindfulness technique during our podcast? Sure, I would love to do that. You know, oftentimes people have a hard time with mindful breathing because their mind wanders and they wind up feeling a little uncomfortable about that. That mind wandering and that attention to bringing it back is actually a really healthy way to strengthen neural pathways. But I've also found that many of my students like this idea of anchoring. And what that is, is finding a place where we notice our breath most. So what I'm gonna ask you to do today, and I'll walk you through the process, is you're going to first put your hand under your nose, then move it to your chest, and then finally to your belly. Now it's important to realize that mindfulness is a great skill for everyone but it can be somewhat traumatizing. So whenever I do a mindfulness activity and doing it with students, I'm sure to be mindful about those kinds of things. One of those things that helps is inviting someone rather than telling them to do something like close their eyes. So I'm going to invite you to close your eyes if you're comfortable. Otherwise, feel free to find a spot on the wall or you know, even looking down at your lap. The second thing, is to feel grounded. So to feel more grounded, you might wanna put your feet flat on the floor. You might wanna put your palms onto your thighs, whatever is comfortable for you. And then I'm going to invite you to take in one long, deep breath, filling your lungs to capacity, noticing that, letting it hold for just a few seconds, and then slowly breathing out. From there, I'm going to invite you to put your hand right under your nose. Notice as you breathe in, you may feel some cool air. And as you breathe out, you'll notice warm air coming out. Just focus on the air going in and out at your nose. If while you're doing that, you notice that your mind wanders, it's no problem. When you notice it, just bring it back to your fingers under your nose and what you're noticing. Now I'm going to invite you to move your hand down to your chest. Breathing in 
and breathing out. You may notice your chest rising with the in-breath and falling with the out-breath. You might even notice your heart beating a little there. Just breathing in and breathing out and noticing what you feel. Finally, I'm gonna ask you to move your hand down to your belly. As you breathe in, you notice your belly rising. As you breathe out, the diaphragm contracts. And usually you feel your stomach sliding inward. Breathing in and breathing out. Finally, I'd like you to move your hand back to the place that you felt the presence of your breath the most, at your nose, at your chest, at your belly. This is a place of anchor for you. It usually makes it easier to stay focused on the breath. But even when that doesn't happen, just a reminder that you can always go back and bring that wandering mind back again to that point that you have as an anchor. So when you're ready, you can open your eyes, come back into the room. Hopefully you're feeling calm and relaxed. In general, people find that having an anchor is one way to be able to be more mindful and have their mind wander less. I wanna thank you for that. That was really very powerful and I noticed that you can certainly do this with a, a very short amount of time. Kathy, I'm wondering how a teacher could potentially use this with a class of students as well. You know, since I train school counselors, some of them that are doing the training are teachers in a classroom already. And some of them have begun to try using this with the students in their classrooms. One of my students mentioned how, you know, she thought, oh, I'm not going to have time for this. And she would use it after lunch with her students. And suddenly the 10 or 15 minutes it was taking her to get everybody back under control actually took less time. And students started missing it when they weren't using it as a way of kind of transitioning back into the classroom. You can use all kinds of short mindful activities with students. You can also use mindful movement kinds of things that might, you know, if people are seeming a little bit antsy, you know, you can do some things that kind of like have them do a shakedown where you kind of go five, four, three, two, one with different parts of the body working their way downward. There's lots of different activities. And I, I know Sue has some resources for later, I think, that, you know, we can use to share uh, to help students, uh, teachers use this with students. So thanks so much for that. Uh, let me turn to you, Sue, and talk about some of the steps that school leaders should consider taking to try to institutionalize mindfulness and a greater focus on social and emotional well-being for all staff. Sure, David. There's a lot of things that administrators can consider. And I'm, I'm also aware of the fact that there's many other school staff that are sort of spearheading things like this in their own schools and getting their administrators on board with supporting them in doing these kind of practices. But what administrators can do is 
First of all, making sure that they're reminding staff if they have an employee assistance program and how to access resources and referrals for counseling if they want that. Also to recognize staff contributions and achievements and celebrate milestones. So just creating that kind of environment of celebration and appreciation in your school. Holding exercise challenges, you know, having steps challenges or have a challenge as to how many minutes people can accomplish in a week. Finding and sharing stress management and mental health resources and information to share with your staff. And if your staff brings ideas to you, honoring those and, and you know, passing those on. Build in physical activity breaks during the school day. I've been doing research about what's been happening in schools around the country, and that's something that is being recommended and has there's research behind the importance of that. And having mindfulness meditation breaks for staff and students during the school day. Or hold five-minute mindfulness conference calls for staff or provide or attend professional development or social-emotional skills types of training on trauma-informed approaches and social-emotional learning and resilience building and practices. So thank you so much for that, Sue. Uh, Kathy, any additional thoughts on steps that we could all be taking to try to institutionalize our commitment to mindfulness and, and social and emotional well-being for staff? Yes. One thought is that mindfulness is good for everyone, but as I mentioned before, there's certain things that can happen that might be traumatizing, like requiring students to close their eyes. So you may have noticed that inviting people into a practice, providing options and choices, and building in some ways that students or you know faculty can ground themselves. So when we want to start using mindfulness, we want to create a sense of safety and grounding first. And there's actually a model called the Community Resiliency Model that is a great resource on how to plan for successfully launching a mindfulness program in the sense that it looks at first creating safety, grounding, and resourcing as a way of introducing mindfulness. There's also mindfulness practices, something like heartfulness, where you goes, may I be happy, may I be healthy, may I have peace in my life, those kinds of things that have less of a trauma response because we're not actually asking someone to notice the sensations going on in their bodies. Well, thanks so much for that, Kathy. Um, of course, with this podcast, as with all of our podcasts, we also provide links for additional resources and information. So Sue, are there some best practices that you would like to highlight and perhaps some resources that you would like our listeners to be aware of when it comes to addressing their self-care? I would like to direct folks to the CDC website. There's a wealth of great information for, for school staff as well as administrative staff, but most notably on their website, there's something called the um, Healthy School School Employee Wellness Book and Guide. So that'll be on the resources that are going to be provided with this podcast. And then there's also a Healthy Schools Partner Toolkit, which is much more targeted. And either one of those will provide great information for administrators or anyone working as school staff. And finally, there's one last one called Shape America, which are a host of virtual resources for health and phys ed that are targeted for, for staff as well as students. 
So those are all incredibly helpful resources. As we are uh, finalizing our conversation today, Kathy, any final thoughts for our listeners? I do think that mindfulness is a wonderful resource that can be used effectively in schools, particularly in this time where so many students are dealing with trauma and our faculty and, and staff are experiencing trauma as well. Mindfulness is a way to be able to reset the nervous system that allows us to be able to be present and to, you know, which is an important aspect in the process of being able to learn. So I hope that you find ways to incorporate this into what you're doing in schools right now. I, I would just like to add sharing a quote from a middle school teacher in our own New Jersey here that sort of sums it all up. She wrote, I know that my students need breaks throughout the day to recharge their minds and bodies before they're ready to learn again. Teachers need brain breaks too. Having a designated time during the workday to practice mindfulness exercises has made a world of difference in my stress level. So as we're all dealing with very heightened stress levels, having these valuable tools are just a wonderful thing to incorporate into your day. I think that a key aspect on mindfulness is that, you know, we often think about wanting to do it with our students. It's really important for each of us as well. And so taking some time to be mindful and practice on your own can make this a process that is much easier for you to use with your students when it feels natural to you as part of what you do in your own self-care and working on wellness for yourself first. So I want to take a moment to thank our wonderful guests today who have given us some great insights, some great tools, some great strategies for focusing on our self-care and the importance of it. So Kathy, thank you so much for being with us today and for sharing your expertise and experience. Well, thank you for having me. It's been my pleasure to be here. And of course, um, Sue, you have been instrumental in addressing our work on both student and staff mental health and putting this entire series together. So thank you as always. Thank you, David. It's been wonderful throughout these podcasts. Appreciate it. As we mentioned at the very beginning, of course, with this podcast series, it's been made possible because of the wonderful partnerships that we have in place. So we do encourage you, for those who would like more information regarding us at Legal One, to view our website at www.njpsa.org slash legal1nj. For those who are interested in learning more about the New Jersey Schools Insurance Group, we encourage you to visit their website at www.njsig.org. For those who would like to learn more about Arthur J. Gallagher, we encourage you to go to their website as well at www.ajg.com. And finally, we have had an ongoing partnership, of course, with New Jersey PTA, and we always encourage you to visit their website at www.njpta.org. With that, I want to thank our listeners. Thank you for all that you're doing in our schools and for all you're doing to support our students and to make sure we have a successful school year. Be safe, be well, and we look forward to having you with us on future episodes of the Legal One podcast. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you would like more information on the topics we covered, a full list of episodes, or a preview of upcoming topics, please visit our website at www.njpsa.org legal1nj.